This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Hello and welcome to Working Like Dogs on Pet Life Radio. Thank you for joining us and for following Working Like Dogs on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We're your hosts. My name is Marcy Davis, and my co-host is my hard-working service dog, Lovey. And we're thrilled to be with you today to talk about our favorite subject, working dogs and working animals. And today we will be visiting with best-selling author Melissa Faye Green about her new book, The Underdogs. It's a wonderful new book about children, dogs, and the power of unconditional love. Does it get any better than that? So come right back after these quick messages as we welcome Melissa Faye Green to the show. Sit. Stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. Well, four to be exact. It's designerpetsweaters.com. Hand-knitted designer sweaters for your precious pup or cool cat. Beautiful couture patterns for your pets, including custom-knitted formal wear, casual wear, yachting, and even sports-themed. Many designer pet sweaters include feathered tammy hats, top hats, and a lot of sparkle. Each sweater includes leg loops, front paw sleeves, and leash opening. Visit designerpetsweaters.com to order your four-legged fashions today. Your pets will stay warm for the winter and be runway ready. Large or small, we fit them all. Designerpetsweaters.com Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com Welcome back to Working Like Dogs on Pet Life Radio. It's my pleasure to welcome Melissa Faye Green to the show. Hello, Melissa, and welcome. Hi, Marcy. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, well, we're so glad that you could be with us today to talk about your new book, The Underdogs. Can you tell us, Melissa, what inspired you to write this book? I live in Atlanta. I'm a dog lover, but it never had occurred to me to write a book about dogs. But a few years ago, I was contacted by a local woman, a woman named Donnie Winokur. She contacted me to ask for help publishing. She wanted to publish her story. I typically try to avoid encounters like this because I often can't help people get published, but I read her story on her website and thought, oh my God, this woman has been through hell. I can meet her for coffee. So we met for coffee and she told me her story. She and her husband had faced uh, infertility in their late 40s. They adopted two children from Russia. The little girl was great. The little boy, Ayal, started displaying really difficult behavioral and emotional problems. And the older he got and the bigger he got, the more difficult he got. He would flip out over things like a sticker on a banana or if his mother touched his food, he said he could smell his mother on his food. And then he started acting bizarrely in public. He would drop to the ground and try to kiss strangers' toes. It just, you know, weird stuff. And they started seeing lots of specialists and pediatricians. When Ayal was four, the diagnosis was given that the child 
has fetal alcohol syndrome, just a terrible, irreversible brain damage resulting from his birth mother having taken in alcohol while pregnant with him. The family went into lockdown. Just this out-of-control kid who would rage and flip out at home in public, desperate for some kind of help. Donnie, the mom, heard about a group called Four Paws for Ability based in Xenia, Ohio, that was one of the first in the world to train service dogs for children, especially for children with challenges like autism or seizure disorder or attachment disorder, and just real a frontier of service dog work. She called Four Paws. They said, we don't know fetal alcohol, but it doesn't sound so different from what our kids go through. And Donnie said, you're going you're gonna to give us a dog? And they said, we'll need you know, material from the doctors and the experts. We'll need a prescription. You'll need to fundraise and so on and so on. But we don't really see a problem here. They, uh, a year later, were able to bring home a big, good-natured, strong golden retriever named Chancer, a, a rescue. He had been trained specifically for Ayal, so that soon after arriving home, when Ayal threw a fit about something, maybe seeing his sister's Barbie doll in the bathtub, he flips out, crosses his arms, sits down hard, and starts stomping his feet and screaming and banging his head. But now, instead of watching helplessly, the parents could say, Chancer, disrupt. Chancer, who had received... 500 hours of training, including 100 hours specifically for this boy, upon hearing the word disrupt, galloped over, nosed into Ayal's arms. He pushed through and opened up Ayal's locked arms and kind of nuzzled up his chest and neck and started licking him and knocked him over and climbed on top of him and pinned him. And he turned the tantrum just into laughter. And he stayed there a long time on top of Ayal until Ayal calmed down. So this this alone felt like a miracle to the family. Within a couple of weeks, Chancer did not need the parents to say disrupt. As soon as he heard Ayal's opening screams, Chancer took off, and he would gallop through the house and find Ayal and put, you know, nuzzle open his arms and push him down and get on top of him. And the most amazing thing is within about a month or two, Chancer could disrupt fits before they happened. Chancer could be napping on the foyer, just you know, snoring away, and Ayal might be upstairs in his room, and Chancer suddenly alerts and looks around and runs upstairs, and Ayal may not even know anything's about to happen, but Chancer knows, and he gets on top of Ayal and pins him and, and helps him ride out these storms. So that was just one family story. So she's telling me all of this, wanting me to tell her how to get published. And at some point I said, could I write about this? And she said, <laughs> yes, because what she really wanted was not to publish, but to get the word out about the incredible dangers of drinking yeah. while pregnant. That was had become her mission as the adoptive mother of a child with fetal alcohol syndrome. So I wrote that story up for the New York Times Magazine a few years ago. The story went viral. It was just, it was huge. It ended up being one of the most emailed stories of the year for the Times. And then earlier this year, I came out with the book that was an expansion of the story. So the book tells Ayal's story and the story of a few other children whose lives were absolutely restored by dogs from this one agency in Xenia, Ohio, for Paws for Ability. Yeah, well, oh, that's so incredible. And I'm so glad that you decided to take that on for that mom because you tell the story so eloquently. And, and you also, I love too about the book is that you include a lot of other information. You cover a lot of historical facts about dogs in your book and how they've lived with us for a lot longer than most people may be aware. So what made you want to include all of that other information in the book? 
My natural inclination is always to try to get to the bottom of a story, and I know I've driven editors crazy over the years, because I, <laughs> I think in every one of my books, I basically get back to the Paleolithic era. It's just, I really want to know what the, where did things start, you know, so here I'm researching this book about modern working dogs, like your show, but, you know, you try to go back and understand the origin of that, and you pretty quickly slip back 15 to 30,000 years ago when when these wolf dogs when some you know when when some kind of relationship was struck up between early human hunter gatherers early human villagers and curious uh, gray wolves or curious you know ancestors of modern gray wolves ancestors of modern dogs and that stuff is just so amazing and contemporary science and biologists are finding more and more about the extraordinary links between humans and dogs. You've probably reported on, on plenty of these, but some of the ones that have just come out recently are that a human just hanging out with a beloved dog, in time their two hearts start beating in sync. I, did you all hear about that one? And um, I think a lot of people have heard about the fact that if you pet your dog, that your you know, what they call the happy hormones, the bonding, the attachment hormones kick in, not only for you, but kick in for the dog. You both yeah. experience the kind of loving calm that a parent experiences holding a young child. Other research has discovered that if a, if a dog and its beloved human simply look into each other's eyes, the same effects happen. There doesn't even have to be physical touch. They can make eye contact. So, I mean, it's just fabulous stuff. And it's yeah. relevant. I wanted to also try to tell the story not from the point of view of the dogs. I knew I couldn't, you know, get there with a nonfiction book, but try to get to what scientists are understanding about what the dogs are bringing to the table. Like, yeah. you know, are they empathetic? Do they love? Do they, you know, do they grieve? Those kinds of yeah. questions. And scientists are getting really closing in on some of those answers. I know it's amazing. Well, that was one of the things that I also loved about the book is that that you included all the historical information and that you also use science to back up the things that you were sharing because we always think of the feel good things, but really looking at that science behind the relationships and that human animal bond is so powerful and I always say that I think we're just at the tip of the iceberg of how we can really interact with dogs and what dogs can really do to enhance our everyday lives. And I know I've been living that for over two decades. So I, I'm just always amazed and mesmerized by the canines and what they can do. And the stories that you share are just so beautiful from Four Paws for Ability. And, and Karen Shirk is the founder, right, of that program? Correct. Karen Shirk, who was an army brat and kind of grew up all over the world, and in Germany, was a college student in Dayton, Ohio, when she suddenly collapsed one day without warning, could barely breathe, couldn't move, was rushed to the emergency room, all systems failing. She had to have a tracheostomy. She had to have a tube inserted in her neck to allow her to breathe, and that, that remains to this day. The doctors were bewildered, and finally she was diagnosed with a rare neuromuscular disease with late onset that has onset in the 20s. So she went from being an absolutely vital, active social work student with a full-time job to being a long-term disability patient. And she spent year after year after year, first in hospitals and then in, in long-term nursing care facilities. And by her late 20s, she was just a pale, silent, lonely, depressed young woman. Her life had just ended. It had just stopped. And now she stayed in bed and watched TV and ate meals off a hospital tray 
And then one year, a new nurse came in and said, why don't you get a dog? And Karen, speaking through the opening in her throat, she covers it with a finger to allow her to speak, says, what? How could, I, how could I take care of a dog? I can't take care of myself. And the nurse says, I think you could take care of a dog. And she told her about mobility dogs, a dog might help Karen get up and get dressed in the morning and could bring Karen things and could walk beside her. So they reached out to service dog agencies all over the country looking for a mobility dog for Karen. That took about that took a couple of years. Every single one said no. Every single agency said said things like we don't place dogs with people unlikely ever to live a productive life. You know, really cruel letters and, and they all said they would never place a dog with someone using a respiratory tube because fur could get in the tube. When the last denial came in, Karen slipped deeper into despair and she started stockpiling morphine. She just wanted to end it rather than have this slow death. But at that point, the nurse said, well, Karen, get your own damn dog. And And the nurse said, Karen, just get up. We're going to go look at puppies. And she got Karen into a motorized wheelchair and into a wheelchair accessible van and started driving her around looking at puppies. Karen was just numb to the world at that point. Nothing moved her. But one day they looked at a pack of little all-black German Shepherd dog puppies. And she'd grown up with a black, a solid black German Shepherd. And she picked one and she brought home the little boy and named him Ben. And that was the beginning of the end of her life as an invalid because the puppy was full of life and had to be taken outside many times a day and wanted to play and run and after one visit outside, when Karen motored back in in the motorized wheelchair and dragged herself back into bed, you know, the puppy was ready to go out again. And Karen said to the nurse, oh, I've, I've had it. You know, can you take him out? And the nurse said, nope, too busy for that. And so Karen was forced to move muscles she hadn't moved for years. And little by little, she said that, that Ben didn't kind of throw her back into life, but sort of helped her inch back into life. Then she, she was willing to try new medications that let her come off the ventilator for more and more hours a day. With Ben at her side, she started learning how to walk. She hired a trainer to give him first his puppy obedience training and then ultimately um, mobility service dog work, and he became a fully-fledged mobility dog. And by the end of the year, Karen and Ben moved out of the nursing home into a little cabin of their own. She started working full time. And at that point, she thought, wow, how many people are stranded like I was who might be able to return to life if only someone would give them a dog? Then she thought, I bet I could do this. I could rescue four or five dogs a year and hire trainers and give them to people that everyone is saying no to. And she started, and that was over a thousand dogs ago. Wow. Wow. Well, she she is really touching so many lives. I mean, talk about getting motivated and changing your life. She's the perfect example of that. Wow. Wow. Well, we have lots more to talk about, and we are going to take just a really quick break and hear some important messages from our sponsors, but come right back after these quick messages as we keep our visit going with Melissa. Come right back. We'll be right back, right after these messages. Stay tuned. Everything we tried failed except the Dynavite. The standard run-of-the-mill tests and treatments. Cortisone. Antihistamine. Multiple creams. Antibiotics. Spray. Multiple prescriptions. Steroid injections. Topical sharp antibiotics. Steroid creams. No results. It was neglect. 
the other owners didn't care enough about him to take care of him and to give him the nutrition he needed. A nutritional supplement like Dinovite. To be the healthy, happy dog he is today. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. If you want the dog to be healthy, you got to feed it something healthy. Put some nutrition in your dog. The vet that I trust recommended Dinovite. The dog I have today, because of Dinovite, is a sparkle in his eye, a lush coat, healthy skin. When you rescue a dog... You've got to feed them right for life. Dynavite will make your dog a happy dog. Dynavite is nutrition. Dynavite for life. 859-428-1000. 859-428-1000. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. Hi, I'm Dana Humphrey, the founder of Whitegate PR. We have been specializing in PR and marketing in the pet industry for over 10 years. If you have a pet product or service you would like to promote, give us a call. We can help create awareness for your brand on TV, radio, magazines, newspapers, and blogs. Feel free to reach me directly at 619-414-9307 or learn more on our website at whitegatepr.com or follow us on Facebook. Let's Talk Pets. Let's Talk Pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com Welcome back to Working Like Dogs on Pet Life Radio. We're visiting with best-selling author Melissa Faye Green about her new beautiful book, The Underdogs. And before the break, she was sharing with us the incredible story of Karen Shirk and her amazing organization, Four Paws for Ability. And there are just so many wonderful stories that you have in the book, and, and not only about the children, but also about others that trained and worked with dogs. And one of them was there was actually a felon that you talk about in your book. Can you tell us about that person? A man named Eddie Hill from rural Ohio went joyriding one day in the rural countryside with an old friend of his. They were both in their early 20s, both military vets, both suffering from depression and other ailments, both drunk, both just, uh, as Eddie would later say, two punks up to no good, both unemployed. Duke, Eddie's old friend, was a small-time drug dealer as well. Uh, They went reining around the countryside, rear-ended a truck, Eddie was the one driving. He got out to apologize to the driver. Duke got out on the passenger side of the car, and because he fancied himself a big-time drug dealer, he carried a handgun. He got out, walked around, and for absolutely no reason, under the sun, shot and killed the truck owner whom they'd rear-ended. Eddie got hysterical and went running, screaming across the field. Another truck pulled up, seeing a man lying in the road and thinking there'd been an accident. And again, for absolutely no reason on earth, other than being a no-good, drunk guy, Duke shot the second truck owner and killed him. Eddie didn't know which way to run, and he was more scared of Duke than he was even of the police. So he came back, helped dispose of the bodies, drove back to Columbus, Ohio, where they lived, and pretty soon thereafter, they were both arrested. Duke was convicted of murder and executed. Eddie was convicted of being an accessory. I think accessory after the fact, and was sentenced to life in prison. And so he has been in a in prison ever since. Uh, he's been in, I forget how many years, 35, a long time. He's been in 30-some years. The prison happens to be near Xenia, Ohio, where Four Paws for Ability is trained these remarkable dogs for children. And they created a prison program, a dog program within the prison, 
They carefully screen the imprisoned men. They, the men are invited to apply for this job training program, and then they get trained. They learn how to be trainers. Certain classes of prisoners are not permitted to apply. Domestic abusers, people convicted of spousal abuse or child abuse, are never invited into programs like these because they often, that cohort, can be animal abusers also. But someone like Eddie, he was invited in. He had, you know, bad guy on the outside, but that sort of pretty good guy inside, although he didn't really know it. And Eddie Hill turned out to be, has turned out to be, one of the most naturally gifted dog trainers the folks at Four Paws for Ability have ever met. He's by far the most talented behind bars and one of the most talented anywhere. Four Paws and many, 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 many grateful parents whose dogs have been trained by Eddie have been petitioning the governor of Ohio for a couple of years already, asking for Eddie to be paroled. And Four Paws says they will hire him instantly. He, he will have a job waiting for him. It doesn't look like that's going to happen anytime soon. But meanwhile, Eddie has an amazing touch, an amazing gift for working with these dogs. The first dog he was entrusted with was a really abused, neglected, terrified mutt named Timber, who'd been neglected so long that his collar, had, his skin had grown in around the collar and had to be cut away. And Timber was, Eddie realized, just a throwaway. He was just, no one cared for him. He was a throwaway, and Eddie identified with him. He was, Eddie was a throwaway, too. And he, and he, from the first moment when he looked at Timber, said he knew someone was in there. Like he just recognized Timber as, as, yeah. as somebody, as somebody who deserved love and had never had a chance. And he fell in love with Timber and nursed Timber and nurtured Timber. And that was the beginning for Eddie. And it was the beginning of a whole new life for Timber because Timber emerged to be a gorgeous, lively, funny, playful, just an absolutely wonderful dog which led to the first of many heartbreaking moments for Eddie. He had absolutely restored this dog. This was his dog. And if only his life were different, he would spend, they would spend their life together. They would go, you know, hiking off in the Appalachians. But as it was, he so beautifully restored and trained Timber, that Timber was then adopted by a great family. And Eddie, Eddie had to say goodbye to Timber, knowing when Timber was led away for the last time that they'd never see each other again. Although, of course, Timber didn't oh. know that. But in just a wonderful gift of kindness, the woman, the mom in the family that adopted Timber wrote a long letter addressed to Timber's trainer at the Warren mm. Correctional Institute and just went on and on with all the details about how much Timber was enjoying life. And he was curious about everything and the funny look oh, on his face beautiful. the first time he saw a butterfly and how he looked at flags blowing in the breeze and, wow. and just, you know, thank you, thank you, thank you. You created this wonderful dog. We thank you. Yeah. And, when Eddie got that letter, he just stood in the commons at the prison just crying and didn't didn't care who saw him. Well, and it gave so, him purpose, right? It, I mean, wow. Incredibly, yeah. <sighs> yeah. I mean, it changed his status within the prison, too, in that other prisoners, they don't necessarily treat one another with great respect or friendliness, but anyone having trouble working with a dog would bring the dog to Eddie and say, can you give me some tips? And then it turned out that even guards and the warden would come to Eddie with questions about their animals at home. Yeah, you know, she doesn't come on a call, you know, and so it's yeah. been a life, a life for him inside prison. Wow. 
Wow, that's wonderful that he could find that after such tragedy and loss. Yeah, that he could find something to give back in such a huge way. Well, and talking about the training, you know, you talk about that a lot in your book about the trainers from Four Paws for Ability. So tell us about some of the skills that they help to develop in the dogs, some of the commands that the dogs learn. I know you've mentioned a little bit, you mentioned, I think, was disrupt. But what are some of the other things that they can do? for the children? A lot of the child patients are on the autism spectrum. And so there are are commands like touch. Children like that, children with high anxiety, the only adults for whom they train dogs are military vets with post-traumatic stress disorder. And and they need some of the same commands of touch. So, you know, an adult or child with PTSD who's in the grip of a flashback with suddenly, you know, the heart racing and Sweating, the dog, the dog knows to touch, like just just touch with the nose or just nuzzle or lick to jog the person back to the present and away from the terrible memory. You know, I'm right here with you. You know, you're safe. We're together. The dogs, some dogs are trained for children with diabetes, and the dogs know when the blood sugar level is dropping, and they know to alert the parents. Some dogs are trained to track. Some of the dogs are bred in house, so they'll cross like a black lab with a bloodhound to get the great nose, you know. Again, half of children on the autism spectrum are what they call elopers or runners. They run. You can be right with them. You can be standing right there, you know, making cookies together, and then and then he's gone. And so families just go through hell. In fact, the, the highest risk of uh, mortality for children with autism is drowning because the, the kids run off, and they often run to pools or lakes. So for those children, dogs are trained to track a specific child. And so the parents look around, and instead of panicking, they say, June bug, find Jeffrey, find Jeffrey, yes. and, off, and off the dog goes, you know. Yes. Some families told me that their kids used to find so much joy in escaping and, you know, just knew they were little Houdinis, even though it would make the, the parents' lives miserable, but that little by little when the kids realized there was no getting away anymore because the dog always found them, they started <laughs> running less because, like, what was the point? You, you know, you right, get away right. from the dog. Yeah, the yeah. game wasn't oh, there any children, fun. <laughs> no. That can be found immediately. What's the point of that? Children, this is a really important one. Children with seizure disorder, those parents, I mean, so many of these parents just lead indescribably difficult lives. I really hadn't seen this world up close to this extent before, but parents of children with seizures who have spent their lives worried that the child is going to die of a seizure, that the child is going to die of a seizure in the night. And parents, you know, they don't sleep. They don't sleep. They sleep near the child. What if there's a seizure? These dogs are trained to detect seizures and to tell the parent. And some of the dogs can detect seizures half an hour in advance, an hour in advance, Some can detect them 12 hours in advance. One family told me that they, even after they got the dog, they couldn't, they just, they couldn't really believe. I mean, they'd spent their whole life, the child's whole life alert to if a big seizure was coming. And even after they got the dog, they couldn't quite believe. So they kept, you know, taking turns staying up all night. But then the dog kept the dog alert. It's like the dog didn't miss anything. And and so finally, the parents both returned to their own bedroom and slept through the night. A lot of parents told me, that they call the four paws dogs sleep through the night dogs. Because for many parents, parents whose children escape, whose children seize, whose children's blood levels could drop, you know, any kind of disaster that can happen in the night, the parents haven't slept. They haven't slept, and now they can sleep. And parents told me it would have been worth every penny if that was the only thing the dogs did, was let them sleep through the night. Like, done. 
the level of stress in these households and the amount of stress relief that these dogs can provide is just, it's hard to get your head around of really how, like you say in the book, it doesn't just impact the child's life. It impacts the parents and the whole family by the amount of stress that is reduced in the house and they can enjoy each other so much more, all because of these little four-legged, furry, adorable creatures. I think one of the things that interested me the most was the emotional component to these stories. The children, these were some profoundly isolated children, children who missed all the the chances as little kids to learn how to bond and share and empathize and play and pretend and take turns, you know, and so children who end up friendless, like just profoundly socially isolated children because they either their medical needs didn't give them the chance to learn how to make friends or they've got cognitive or psychiatric kind of blocks to making friends. So for these kids, these dogs are the first friends. Like they never yeah. had friends before. And for some of the children I follow, the dog's the only friend or the dog is not just the friend, but the dog's the little brother and the cohort and the adventurer and, you know, the dog, but just being the first friend. But, you know, yeah. the parents say if they were nothing more than sleep through the night dogs, I'm sure that children, if they were able to express it, would say, forget the seizure detection, everything else. If they had just brought him in to be my friend, that was enough. That was enough, yeah. you know. And then another layer of that is how isolated and how isolating and lonely it is for the parents. A lot of them end up being single parents. I met a lot of single moms because uh, marriages don't always survive the the challenges of a, a child with severe disabilities. And sometimes it's the mom that needs the friend the most. Or sometimes it's the dad. I've got a dad in the book who really needs a friend and the dog is there. A mom I interviewed who lives in Alaska with her son who has severe autism, she told me about standing in the kitchen one day looking at her son and she said and she said he's so beautiful he's got this uh you know kind of tired and light blue eyes and just this really northern looking kid and that she was looking at him and said you're you're so beautiful but you're just you're just not here are you you're just you're just not with me you're not here and he he turned away you know in indifference and she said she felt this wave of sorrow go through her and suddenly there was pressure on her shoulder and she turned around, and it was their, their four-paws golden retriever who had gotten up and come to her. She said it was absolutely an act of empathy on the part of the dog. It was like, but I'm here. And she said, and it meant something to me. He was there. He was there. I wasn't yes. alone then, you know. Yes. Oh, well, Melissa, you have just such incredible stories to tell, and you have done so, so beautifully in your book. And I hope that our listeners will get the chance to read The Underdogs and learn more about all the incredible stories that you share. And thank you so much for being with us today and telling us about your experiences, because it's very apparent how much these folks touched you. And I just thank you so much for sharing that with all of us. Thank you so much for inviting me. Yeah, and thank you, our listeners, for being with us today. We love to hear from you. So please keep those emails coming. And you know you can reach us at Marcy, M-A-R-C-I-E, at PetLifeRadio.com. And you can also follow Working Like Dogs on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. So we'd love to hear from you. And thanks so much for being with us. And everybody take good care. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.